asked Melvin to bring this back as a prop because um, I want to talk about a gift and I want to talk about Jesus. We talked about King Jesus last week, um, but I want to talk about Jesus being a gift and I wanted to use this just as a demonstration, as, a, as a, an image like I was talking about earlier. We remember things sometimes when we do silly stuff like this, um, but I'm trying to think of who I'm going to give this gift to. Brad, can I give you a gift? Would that be okay? I'm going to give Brad this gift. All right. Brad gets a gift. Um, and you can just hang out there if you want to stand up or sit down or whatever. I'm just going to talk about it briefly before we get into this. But Brad's got a gift. What's the first thing that you do when you get a gift? Say thank you, Say thank you right? Thank you. <laughs> uh, what's the second thing you usually do when you get a gift? You open it up, right? I don't know what's in there. You can open it up. Uh, <laughs> there's something in there, though. What is it? Envelopes. Envelopes. Woo! Brad got envelopes. Um, what's the third thing you do? Anybody? Use it? Say thank you again. You go on eBay or Amazon, see how much it costs. You don't play like you don't go see how much it costs, see how much they paid for it, right? Yeah, you do. Anyway, <laughs> Melissa said, no, no, nobody does that. Uh, but that's it. You don't, you, you don't, do you get, like, feel guilty and want to, like, uh, pay me back or anything for that gift? You don't do that, do you? I mean, that's not a really natural reaction to a gift, is it? It's not. Um, that's it. That's all I wanted to do. Very simple. And the reason I said that, we're going to go through those things. We'll leave it there as a, as a physical demonstration of what we're talking about. But God gave the ultimate gift when he gave us Jesus, right? And what we do is when we receive it, and I've heard many sermons uh, growing up, and then even after I got saved, I heard some that were unfortunately very uh, heavy, <laughs> heavy and guilt-laden. And so they would, they would say something like, you know, God gave you this great gift, and there would be this long pause, and then they would say, and then the rest of the time would be, you, you owe him now. <laughs> you, need to, you need to make up for it. And so it was a lot of, yay, this is awesome. And then by the time you left, you're like, oh, geez, I feel horrible. And, and a lot of that was very confusing for me, especially as a lost person trying to figure this whole thing out. It was like, well, if it's a gift, why do I feel so bad about it? Why do I feel so terrible all the time when this is supposed to be a good thing? And, and that's, I don't think that was God's intention. Actually, I know that's not God's intention. We're going to start in Romans 5, 8, and I want to pray. Uh, I've actually wrote it down here to pray because I need to start praying before because uh, this is part of me uh, in this new year, um, as I've kind of hoped that you guys do as far as communicating with the Holy Spirit, is just having him um, lead us more and more and just being aware of it. And so, Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would just lead us today. Father, that it would lead me in everything that I say. Um, Father, that, it would, it would, uh, that you would be here with us and that you would communicate your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 5, 8 is where we're going to start. Um, we'll, I don't, we're going to end up somewhere else, but we're going to start there. Romans 5, 8, and most of you know this scripture. I've used it several times, and it's very good. It says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son... And how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive reconciliation. There's a lot of reconciling in there. We've been reconciled, and I'm not going to go all the way back to man's fall and all that, but you know how all this kind of happened and we were reconciled. Reconciled basically means we were settled up. Um, well, reconcile like doing, doing balancing the books, kind of. When you're reconciled, you, you settle everything, and that's what he did. He balanced the books. He settled everything for us. And it wasn't this week you have to make the sacrifice, and the next week you have to make another sacrifice. No, this was a sacrifice once and for all. 
He reconciled us 100% done, done. It can't get any doneer. Um, but what, what I find is a lot of times we, we, we look at part of this but not the whole picture. There's kind of twofold of what's going on here, and I'll get to that in a minute. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But there's twofold of what happened when we were reconciled. So now how does God demonstrate his love for us? He just said it. He demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, what I find in my life personally and, and a lot of other people's lives around me is that over time we, um, we seek relationships with other people. I think it's a very natural thing. It's a good thing. I think it's a God-given thing that we seek relationships with other people. The thing that is not a God-given thing or God-directed thing, I think, sometimes is finding um, our life in other people and finding that to be our source. And unfortunately, those two things sometimes get tied together because our desire to be, to accept and be accepted and to be um, uh, within a community sometimes over, can, can override and, and begin to become your source and who you think you are and your identity. Does that make sense? Kind of who you hang around with is who you're going to be, that, that deal. Um, and the reason why that is, 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 the reason why that is, is if we don't know who our source is and we don't know what our identity is, we can fall victim to that because that's what the enemy wants, right? He doesn't, he doesn't have to kill you because if he kills you, you just get to go to heaven. <laughs> so if he can keep you distracted and whisper lies in your ears and keep you from fulfilling your purpose and your calling, then that's good enough. I mean, I mean that's, that's suffice. Um, and so what happens is we, we begin to have these natural desires and these God-given desires, and some, at some point they kind of get perverted in thinking that we need to find our source in people, and then when those people let us down, we're crushed, right? And, and this, personally for me, is very difficult because of, of a lot of the, the bad things that happened to me when I was younger. So people, mine's kind of the reverse. I have a harder time connecting with people sometimes because... I've, I've had those trust issues in the past. And honestly, Mark, Mark Wyatt was the one that really opened my eyes to that because I was always a bit cynical when it came to people because I was always looking for an angle or for the worst in people, even though I knew that God had good in them. But there was always something in the back of my head going, what, what, what are they looking for? I need to, look, I need to be careful, right? Um, and I was always worried about like being taken advantage of. But the cool thing about knowing who we are in Christ is you can't be taken advantage of. You, you can't, they can't give or take away something that they didn't give. They can't take away something they didn't give you, right? They're not going to take that away from you. And so what happens is when we, when we have this journey called life and we begin to fellowship with other people, we've got to distinguish the difference between those two things. People aren't our source. You know, I've told you before, uh, a marriage too, if, if you're both looking for each other to fulfill you, it's like two ticks and no dog. <laughs> you're not going to find fulfillment fully in each other. <laughs> you're not going to find... You're, you're, you're going to be frustrated... <laughs> Thanks. You're going to be frustrated uh, because you're constantly looking for something that's not 100% there. Now, do we, do we love each other and we help? Yeah, we, we do. But at the same time, uh, I know Tracy and I's marriage has grown stronger the, the closer we get to the Lord. And, and we'll see that it'll begin to go weaker when we don't. <laughs> we'll see that kind of, okay, this is what we need to do. We need to focus on this, and this strengthens our marriage. Now, if I was looking fully at her to fulfill everything, she would, as awesome as she is, she would fail me at some point. Same with me. <laughs> as awesome as I am. I would fail her at some point. I would mess up, whether intentionally or inadvertently. And, and, and I can tell you, there's been times in the past where I intentionally hurt Tracy because I was hurt and I felt like I needed to, uh, to make sure that she knew that. Does that make sense? I, I needed, like I needed, uh, it, was, it was an insecurity in me and I was portraying that insecurity on her. And that's what hurt people hurt people, right? And so that's what happened. But when we discover this, we discover that, that I don't need to make sure that she knows 
that, that she feels all the things that I feel, when I begin to see her and add value to her, and this is not just marriage, this is all relationships, when we begin to understand who we are in Christ, then we begin to add value to people instead of trying to take from them. Do you see the difference? What happens a lot of times culturally, and, 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 and I know, what happens sometimes is that we get in, into communities and then we go, okay, well, how am I being fed? You know, I need to be fed more. And this happens a lot in churches too. Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. And there's nothing wrong with being fed, man. I hope that you're fed here. But I think there's, there's a point, and I might get off topic here a little bit, but I think there's a point when we become mature in church we go, okay, well, I'm not getting fed enough. And a lot of people just go, oh, I'm out of here. I'm going to go find another church that feeds me more. I think that at that point, you need to begin to start feeding other people. Amen. And I might get, uh, thank you. At least I got an amen. Some people amen. might, <laughs> thank you. Because I think some people might think, well, I'm not, you know, that's not my place or I'm not a pastor or anything like that. But no, I think that when you, play, when you reach a place of maturity and you begin to think, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I get it now. And, and I think that, that, um, that you reach that place, you okay, well, do I, I need to go like get a, a higher level or something like that. It doesn't mean that you're not still hungry, but I think when you reach that place, it's a perfect, perfect point for you to go, okay, God, what is my calling? What is my specific calling here? And what do you want me to do? And how do you want me to minister to other people? Yes. So everybody will be amazed at how fulfilled you get and how full you get when you serve. Yeah. And that, that's part of what I'm going to get to, too. It, it, you, you find yourself in those positions. You think it's sacrificial, but it's really not. It looks that way from the outside, but when you get in it, you realize it. And Bill and I had a discussion the other night that was awesome about that. And in, in, the, in the things that we have in life, and even the, the, the most tragic things that we have in life, how God can turn those good, and it's, it's mind-blowing. And, and I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but let me wait, let me wait, let me wait. I really want to get to this because it, it goes along with that too. Um, but in, in the same way, not just your friends or, or, or the people that you're around or even your spouse, but the circumstances that are around us, we put too much faith in those as well. We, we, we try to find our life in circumstances or in positions that we're in. And my boss told me uh, years ago that, that this is just a snapshot, Justin. This is just a snapshot of your life. Don't invest so much because I was frustrated at something with work. He's like, don't invest all of your energy and all of your time um, in this because this is just a snapshot. There's more. There's, there's things that are going to happen. So I always remembered that. But your circumstances shouldn't shape who you are. You should shape your circumstances more. And by saying that, it's not just a motive. It sounds motivational, like you go out there and shape your circumstance. You know what I mean? I'm not, that's not what I mean. I mean that even if your circumstances don't change, you know in your heart who you are, and you know in your heart who God is in you. And so when you go through those circumstances, even if they don't change, your, your spiritual circumstances, your heavenly circumstances, your kingdom circumstances are constant. So we, we, we fight battles in spiritual realms and heavenly realms this isn't natural things. So things you see that are natural that can be discouraging are temporary. They all go away. All right. Um, so he demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to, to die for us, but he didn't just die. He was resurrected to give us new life. Um, so we don't just look at the death, but we look at the new life he's given us. Um, so when we receive gifts, we, we, we look, I talked about we look at the price tag. How much did they spend on me? Um, this reconciliation came at the highest cost and is the demonstration of his love for us. Now, you may not ever look at the price of a gift that someone gives me. I don't at all of them, but some of them I do. If I'm curious, if it's something that looks expensive, I'll go, man, how much did they pay for this? There's nothing wrong with that. In the same way, when Christ gave us this gift, when Christ died for us, there's nothing wrong with counting the cost. And Okay, what did he pay? And he paid a lot. He paid the highest cost. He completely changed 
our reality to the fact that that's why we call 2017-2017. I mean, he, he shifted everything that, that, that we're about, our lives, and our day-to-day, our day-to-day lives and our years and our months. He changed everything. And he did all this. He, he paid the highest price for us. And there's nothing wrong with, with looking at that cost. But make it personal. Receive the gift. Look up the price. Open the box and take ownership of it. Don't struggle to try to figure out a way to repay him. But also be bold in knowing that you have something. Because if you don't have something, you can't give it away. If I don't have, if I didn't call Melvin this morning and say, hey, bring this gift box back because I can't find it anywhere in this church. <laughs> Are you hiding at your house? <laughs> if, I didn't tell, if I didn't ask him to bring this, then he, then, then he wouldn't have brought it. At the same way, we've got to know that we have a gift. There's got to be something there. So I like visual things. It's bright and green and red. If we know that there's a gift, we've got this bright red and green gift in our hearts, and we know that we have something, then it's okay to give it away. The cool thing is it doesn't, it's, it's constantly replenished. It's, it's, uh, it's like perpetual. It never stops. Um, and so when we give this gift away, what's cool is it begins to manifest back to us, even if we don't even want it to be, just like Bill was talking about. You don't realize when you begin to give these gifts how much more they begin to manifest in your life. And it's not this necessarily reap what you sow mentality because you're, you're searching for that, but it's even better than that. It's even better than that. Because as you begin to sow into people and you begin to love people, here's the cool thing. Even though you're not finding your faith and your, and your life in them, just like I was talking about a minute ago, maybe a week, two weeks, a year from now, something happens in your life, that person that you sowed into now steps in and begins to minister to you. What a, what a twist. <laughs> what a twist on this thing. But we don't, we, don't, we don't do that for that, but that's what happens. And I, and I say that from experience. It's happened to me. So when we begin to give gifts, we begin to give gifts to people and we're not seeking to take from them, we end up receiving more than if we were trying to take it. That's the cool, that's the cool dichotomy, I guess, with, with Christianity is that, you know, the first will come last, last will come first thing is that when you really get this thing and you really see the, the benefit of just uh, pouring yourself out and giving those gifts to people, you receive the ultimate um, joy in that. Now, when those people minister to you and you fall on hard times or something, that's just kind of a bonus and that's awesome too. But it's cool how that comes for full circle. I mean, it really is. It's, it's, it's amazing when you see it happen in front of you. It's like when you pray and then it happens and you're like, oh. <laughs> we should know that it works. We're just like, whoa, well, that worked. But it's amazing. It blows our minds. Um, do you know that God's not dealing with you on the basis of sins anymore? He's dealing with you on the basis of your righteousness. You're no longer in your sins. He's made you alive and placed you in Christ. So we're not in our sins anymore. But this has some really big implications, this whole grace thing. When, when you're in righteousness now, that puts you in a position to do a lot more. <clears throat> you have, we have no excuse anymore. We, we have no reason to not do it. So we're like, well, we're righteous in Christ now. God's happy at us. So there's no more struggling and fighting and trying to figure this thing out between me and God and I've got to get to church to make sure he's happy with me and I've got to do these things and I've got to go through these little motions and do all these religious activities. All that's gone. Now you've got all this free time, right? Now we can do something with it. Now we have free time and we can say, okay, now what do I do with all this righteousness that God's given me, this gift that he's given me that I don't have to pay back? Romans 5.10, um, I'm going to go to Romans 5.10, I'm going to go to Ephesians. 
one after this. So if y'all want to, I've been going kind of fast. Tracer's like, you need to slow down when you talk about scriptures. We can't keep up. But Romans 5.10 says, um, showing us that the gift is twofold. Well, this is back where we were, Romans 5.10. I was just reminding myself. He's shown us that the gift is twofold. The death reconciles you, but the resurrection gives you new life. I needed my old self crucified, and then I needed to receive the new life from Christ's resurrection. Uh, it's like uh, it's like eating eating fries at Fusakli's, and then for years, and you find out you can add like bacon and cheese to it. <laughs> what? You can add bacon and cheese? I didn't even know that was on the menu. That's true. Yeah, it like almost broke the internet when. Everybody started talking about it. Yeah, you can get bacon and cheese. You're welcome. You get bacon and cheese on your foo fries. If you're listening online and you don't live in Mobile, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. But you can put bacon and cheese on your foo fries. I'm saying there's, there, there's two. It's a very, very inadequate analogy. But there's two sides to this, this, uh, this new life that we have. It's the sacrifice that, that Christ made, and he died on the cross, but he didn't stop there. He was resurrected to give us new life. And this new life is the second fold of that sacrifice. It's the second part of it. Y'all are stuck on food fries. Bacon and cheese? <laughs> Keep talking about Jesus. I got to process this. <laughs> Trust me, it blew my mind too. I was, I mentioned, I, I posted something way off subject. Well, because of it. Squirrel, yeah, I posted something about, uh, one time I thought, uh, one time I thought, uh, you know, I drove through Fusaclis and I thought that it would just be warm. And no, it burned, you know, third degree burns every time because it's always really hot. And then somebody posts on that and they're like, yeah, but have you tried the uh, cheese and bacon on the fries? And it turned into this long, like, drawn it like, what? What do you mean bacon and cheese on your fries? And everybody talked about it. And, and then it wasn't long after that I saw on their website, um, somebody post on there like, we had no idea. And then Fusaclis, I guess one of the representatives for their Facebook page was like, you've been You've, you've entered the inner circle or something like that, like you know now. Anyway, it's pretty clever, pretty clever marketing. Um, <clears throat> oh, I'm, now I'm thinking of some funny Wendy's tweets, but hey, forget that, okay. <laughs> but by the way, Wendy's is pretty clever because some people posted on there and they had some pretty clever comebacks if you get a chance to check it out. So somebody's doing their job really well. Um, anyway, this, this gift is twofold. It's his sacrifice. We needed our, our old life crucified and dead. Done, dead. And then we needed resurrection into new life, brand new life, all new life, no more old dead life. Get it? So we have this brand new life now. And religion will tell you that you need to pay God back for the gift, but God says receive the gift and distribute it. This is why we say we're an R&D church. You have to receive it. I could, put, I could have tried to give this to, to Brad, and he could have been like, mm-mm, mm-mm, I'm not holding it, <laughs> or I'm not opening it. You have to receive the gift. This, this is important because we're not, we're not universalists here. We, we know that God's desire is that all come to know him, but we have to receive that gift. So when we receive this gift, it's not something that we need to feel guilty and try to repay, but it's something that we accept and then we distribute it out to other people. But Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God, of the Fa- God and the Father um, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We'll jump down to Ephesians 1.16. It says, I, <clears throat> I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Keeping, uh, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, Lord, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he ex- exerted 
when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authorities, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, which means it is in the present age, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God places all things, a few things? No. He places all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Um, I love that because verse 20 says he, ex he exerted uh, the strength that he exerted when, when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly, heavenly realms. And so he gives us his power in this present age now. This isn't a pie-in-the-sky um, idea that heaven's going to be great, but we're stuck in hell right now. <laughs> you know, this, is, this, this squashes all of that. It says, okay, not only in this current age, which means it is in this current age, that you can have dominion in him through intimacy with him, like we talked about last week, and there is power in that. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in that. Um, so I guess this, this raises a few questions, and one of them is can we lose this new life? I don't think we can. Uh, Romans eleven twenty nine says God's gifts are, and his call are irrevocable. They don't, they don't just go away. You don't just drop them and forget about them. <laughs> I mean, this is something a little more serious than that. I think I've been, in, I've been in debates with people about once saved, always saved kind of theology stuff, and most of it's real petty stuff. I, I, just like I said before, once you get to the core of who Jesus is and you get to know him, I, I think that's a non-issue. Non I'm not even going to debate or argue about it. I don't know who would, who would lose that. <laughs> I don't lose that. You don't lose that. Um, so what do we do with this gift? This Jesus, this gift that, that, that is for us, what do we do with it? I've got several scriptures I'm going to run through here. and I've got one big one at the end, and then I'm going to tell you a story, and we'll wrap it up. These are several different scriptures. I just I googled uh, uh, what what uh, what is God's calling? Different places where it talks about God's calling in our life, and just found all the scriptures. And I took most of them had the same theme, but I took the, the main ones that were on there. Second um, Timothy one nine says He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Jesus Christ from all eternity. So there we are. It's not by our works, but it's by His purpose and grace. 1 Corinthians 7.15 says God has called us to peace. Not turmoil and struggle and, and fear and, and guilt. He's called us to peace. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ, there's peace again, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So there we are. We've got freedom. We've got peace. We've served one another. These are our callings. These are really simple. First Peter 3.9 is not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. This is how we relate to others. We give gifts. We bless people. Even our enemies, even the ones that curse us, we bless them. Right? This is, this is how we, we, are, we are more and more like Christ because he's in us and he's developing his characteristics in us and he's renewing our mind that way. First Peter 2.20 uh, says, For what credit is it? Now this is, this is the part you want to skip over. <laughs> this is the part nobody really wants to hear. 
Because unfortunately, we do go through some hard times, and we go through things that we don't want to happen. Let's be honest. There are some things, even that we pray for, and don't turn out the way that we think that they should turn out. So it says, for what credit is it that what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if but if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. For you have been. You have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving, <clears throat> leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. This speaks to our circumstances and people not being our source. This speaks to the times when you had a different idea of how things should have turned out. And they didn't turn out that way. But you were faithful still. This um, unfortunately hurts sometimes. But this is also what changes people's lives because I've told y'all several times, but it was one of those uh, groundbreaking moments when my friend Jared walked to the break room and he had lost basically his, his mother figure, um, a very close friend of his. And he, you could see he had been bawling, crying for several days and, and trying to figure things out, work things out. And as he walked past me, Filled with the Holy Spirit, I asked him if he was okay, and I was lost. And he said, yeah, man, God is just so good. God is good. And it blew my mind. How can you say that? How, how can you love a God and you just lost this person? That doesn't make any sense to me. It's illogical. But it definitely got my attention. But not only did it get my attention, it attracted me to this, this God that was living in Jared, this Holy Spirit that was speaking to me in the midst of his tragedy. I was a punk kid <laughs> looking out for myself. And Jared walking to the break room crying, going through tragedy, God speaks to me and changes my life forever. What kind of God is this? <laughs> so don't take lightly the tragedies. And not don't take lightly as though you're going to take them lightly anyway, but don't take lightly what God can do through. That's what I mean. Don't take lightly what God can do through you when even you're in the midst of a tragedy. Sorry, I cry a lot. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. This is speaking of that new life. It's not just his death, but it's his resurrection that we need to focus on as well. This is the twofold. This is the bacon and the cheddar. <laughs> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't just reconcile us, but he gave us that ministry. He gave us himself. He didn't just tell us, go do it, or here's how you do it. He said, I'm going to reconcile you, and then I'm going to give you me. So that I can help you reconcile other people. So he gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciled to the world, reconciled the world to, him, to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. <laughs> and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, because he is. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
man, I could have just read that. <laughs> There's so much there. So we are now amb- ambassadors of Christ. We are, rep- we are representations of, of his kingdom. So we don't just talk about this kingdom that's far away, but we carry it with us. And whether we're going through the times when God miraculously heals people, or we go through the times when things don't turn out the way we want, we go through times where we lose our jobs and, and we're burdened financially, and we go through the times where we're in abundance and we just don't know what to do with all the money. <laughs> but all of those times, there's a constant, and it's Christ in us. It's his kingdom that lives in us. It's not an idea. It's not a theology. It's a living breathing Holy Spirit, and it's very powerful. This is a story I read, and I'm going to try to get through without crying. I, I read it three times this morning. I cried all three times. I figured it would not happen again. Um, and the reason I was looking at it is because I, I'm, I'm not going to try to appeal to you that you need to tell your story, but I will ask you. I already talked to Bill about this. Uh, we're going to be uh, the first one we're going to do with Brad and Jasmine. We're just going to video... Uh, their story and, and just basically a testimony. We're going to narrow it down to about two and a half minutes because people's attention spans have gone out the window with technology. But at the same time, I feel like there's an incredible ministry opportunity within social media and those kind of things. So uh, I just started Googling people's stories, and there's thousands of them out there. It's stories of redemption, stories of Jesus working through their lives. And this one really struck me. It was, it was very well written and well worded, but um, it, it reminded me some of of my life and reminded me of some of you guys and just different situations, but um, I just want to read it to you and then we're going to, we're going to close with prayer, but um, I just want to encourage you that even if you don't video, and I hope you do, I think it'd be cool, we're going to continue doing it, try to get everybody's stories if we can. Even if you don't, know that your story is important. Know that there, there is a gift that God's been given you and it's not, it's not just there for you, it's for other people. All right, let's see if I can get through this. From a very early age, I've had a tendency to narrate my life. My mom loves to tell about the the time I jumped off the diving board proclaiming help, cried Sarah as she jumped into the pool. (laughs) My aunt seated nearby quipped, "Read, read to her much? As I grew a little older, I traded my broadcast journalism for a more internal narration. I imagined myself uh, the protagonist of the story called Sarah's Life and created various scenarios in which each chapter might fit a large fit a larger whole. Looking back, I can see how the details of these stories were shaped and molded by the stories around me. In the books I read, the movies I watched, or the people I observed, some of these influences were, were good and true. Others began to quietly weave the seeds of false stories that fed my own pride and fears. Thankful, thankfully, one important influence was the story I was learning through the Bible. From a young age, my family and my church taught me God's story. Uh, when I moved to Boston as a teenager, teenager and began attending uh, a church with my family, I learned that I could read the Bible as one big story of creation, God and His love and power creating a world that was very good. Fall, humanity's sin corrupting God's good creation, and redemption, God sending His Son to live and die on behalf of humanity to restore our relationship with Him and make all things new. I love this framework. It helped me to, to make more sense of the Bible and this, in turn, helped me to make more sense of my life. I began to replace the Disney movie stories in my head with biblical ones. Suddenly, a moment of conflict with my friends could be reimagined through the story of Joseph, who saw God uh, use even the betrayal of his brothers for the good of all Egypt. In times when I grew ashamed of my own sin, I could, tell, I could retell the story 
in the words of the Apostle Paul, celebrating my weakness because it's shown with Christ's power. These stories also gave me such hope for my future. If God could redeem slavery and sin, I believe I could uh, expect great things from even my worst circumstances. In 2008, while I was away at college, I got a call from my dad. He had experienced chronic back pain throughout the previous few years, which had been flaring up again recently. Despite it all, I remained hopeful that doctors would be able to find a cure. After all, wasn't God about the business of turning suffering into good? Many were praying for my dad, and I imagined the testimony we'd have when he was cured. God would have heard and responded to the prayers of his people. But my dad was not calling that day to tell me he'd been cured. Instead, in a cruel twist of the story, he was calling to tell me that his back pain had been masking the pain of a growing tumor, and he had just been diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer. A few short weeks later, the story got worse. His cancer had spread, and he was now stage 4 terminal. My story and my dad's story now no longer fit inside <coughs> fit inside my paradigm of how God's story worked. We'd experienced the fall. Where was the redemption? Along with many others, I prayed for physical healing. But in the midst of the years that followed, as my, dad, my dad's health deteriorated, I got a close look at, the, at a spiritual healing I could not have previously imagined. My dad had become more patient and kind. He humbly asked for forgiveness for ways he, he had hurt me and graciously extended forgiveness for ways I had hurt him. In one of his last days, I remember, <clears throat> I remember my ever-self-critical father rolling over in his hospital bed and whispering, I learned to love a little better, didn't I? He was not bragging. It was a moment of joyful recognition of the work God had done in him. It was redemption. In March of 2011, uh, my dad's body succumbed to the cancer and, and went to be with Jesus. I grieved deeply, but also rejoiced greatly at the redemption I had seen in his relationships with me, with others, and ultimately with God. I was slowly growing to realize that my original view of redemption was influenced a whole lot more by fairy tales ending with happily ever after than by God's promises in his word. Others asked me how I was doing. And in those first few months, I was able to sincerely reply, it is so hard, but God has been... <laughs> God has been so good to us. I saw God changing my heart. I did not yet realize, however, that I was still mixing God's story with other stories. I was subconsciously replacing happily ever after with a new cliche, every cloud has a silver lining. And while I had found my silver lining, the clouds were only beginning to pile up. 2011 remains a year I'd prefer to forget. <clears throat> In the months immediately following my dad's death, I also lost my grandfather and grandmother, experienced the end of a relationship with a man I loved, and developed a mysterious illness that left doctors befuddled and me exhausted and weak. Everywhere I turned, I looked for redemption, something good God could be up to. But everywhere I turned, circumstances only seemed to be getting worse. Slowly I gave in to the despair. One evening in late December, I took a walk alone on the beach to watch the sunset. But I went too far and eventually became enveloped in darkness. That moment with the sound of waves crashing close by, the darkness thickened around me, and the growing realization that I was not quite sure how to get back home started to feel like a metaphor for my life. I was lost. I did make it home safely that night, and I eventually started to feel myself emerging from the darkness. What sustained me and brought me through was not any moment of revelation, conversation, or prayer. It was God's grace manifest for me through the faithful presence of friends and family, including my church family. 
I experienced so much moments of undeserved mercy and kindness. My pastor brought me Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> My friend let me sit on her floor and cry while we did arts and crafts. And every week another friend met with me, listening to my complaints, reading me scripture and praying for me to believe God's promises. At the end of each meeting, he would say to me, it's good to be with you. I would laugh when he would say this, how could he find, how could he find it good to be with me? I didn't even find it good to be me. But God used the redemption of his statement to help me begin to uncover my true beliefs. I thought God had abandoned me because I was not overcoming my circumstances or experiencing redemption. The most I could do was simply get through the day and simply be. Had God invented me, invited, I'm sorry, has, had God invited me to simply be with him without answers, with my grief and doubts? Did God, like my friend, even call this good? Over the months, I found great comfort in realizing that, yes, God invited me to sit in his presence and simply be. Then in exchange for my sin, suffering, and, and despair, I got his glory. I began to imagine my life through the lens of a new Bible story, that of Mary and Martha. I never understood why Jesus praised Mary for sitting at his feet. After all, she probably left a lot of, of dishes for poor Martha to do. But for the first time in my life, I began to experience the joy in sitting at Jesus' feet, offering nothing, but finally seeing him. The redemption here was both sweeter and more bitter than happily ever after or clouds with silver linings. I was, coming to the re I was coming to realize that God did not promise me a life that made sense or a life in which I saw everything worked out, but he gave me something more. He gave me himself. He gave me himself. I've walked through some pretty pretty screwed up situations mostly when I was younger but then I've also walked with, with some of you guys through some pretty screwed up situations and I pray that through everything that we do in here and in this church that we always seek him first and that the redemption is always there even if we don't see it even if it doesn't look that way because it's easy for us to celebrate when things go the way that we think that they should. But I would, be, I would be ignorant and be doing you a disservice if I didn't admit that there are times when they don't work out that way. But even in the midst of the worst things that we experience, he is still good. And I know that. I'm confident in that. Without a shadow of a doubt. I know that there is redemption. Guys, if you'll stand up with me, I just want to pray for you. <clears throat> Father, just as we read this one story of this, of this woman that I don't even know, and some of us can relate to it, um, I don't mean it just to be a tearjerker and, and to, to poke at people's emotions, but, but to see um, of how good you are and to see your redemption. It doesn't always look like our version of it. But Father, I pray right now that you will open our eyes to, to your kingdom and, and your gift that you've given us, that it's not, a, it's not always the way that we think it should be, but it is always good. 
And so as we open our eyes to this, this redemptive gift that you've given us, Father, our eyes are open wider to those that are around us that need it. That as we receive this, this peace and this rest and this calling that you've given us, we also see this calling that we're ambassadors. That we are heirs and co-heirs with you. That we've been given power in this current age and authority. And that the battles we fight are spiritual battles. They're not always uh, things that we can see, but there are things going on behind, uh, behind the scenes that, that, that we can conquer and that are already conquered in you. And so, Father, as we go out of this place, we know that we're more than conquerors in you. And we know that we're not weak and we're not timid and we're not broken. But we are strong because of who you've made us to be and who we carry with us everywhere we go. Manifest your nature in us, Father. Uh, Just burst through humanity with your divinity as we leave this place and open our eyes to those around us that need that gift. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Oh, I love you guys.